So, um, so I'm from a place called Prince George's County, Maryland. And uh, I met my wife uh, at Washington Bible College in a place called Lanham, Maryland. And she's from Baltimore. And, uh, and so we moved here in 2006. And we've been here for 12 years. And my wife and I uh, have been married 18 years. 18 years, we're married to the beautiful Zaneda Hodges, and we've been blessed with our five children. And uh, so once again, we usually take up two rows, as we've done again, take up two rows here. And, uh, and a little bit uh, about me, when I moved down here, um, I worked for Brings Home Security, uh, installed security systems, uh, and then I went on staff at a church uh, in Durham, and I worked there for eight years, uh, learned a lot uh, there at that church. Uh, now I work for a company called Fresh Point uh, in Morrisville, uh, North Carolina, and I'm a lay minister at Christ Our King Church uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, where the pastor is James White. And, uh, and so uh, I've gotten to know Jim over the last few, few years, and Jim and I got together uh, on Wednesday, had lunch, we were able to talk, and it's been a joy just to get to know, uh, get to know Jim and uh, beloved, I want you to know Jim loves you all. Uh, he loves you very much. Uh, prays for you all, wants to see you all grow in grace and knowledge. And so you've been blessed with a good shepherd. And you know that. You know that. Uh, but it is always a joy to be able to come and preach God's word to you this morning. Uh, beloved, we're going to travel through some rough terrain this morning. Um, but my goal is I want to preach for your joy in Christ. That's what I want to do. I want to preach for your joy uh, in Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, uh, dear God, and we want to hear from you. And so, Father, we pray right now that you'd open up your word. We thank you for the time in which we're able to sing to you, dear God. And I thank you, dear Father, that the angels still cry out, dear Father, worship does not end. You're still being praised and honored, dear Father. But we come right now, dear Father, on this side of eternity, and you've left us with your word, and so we need it. And so, dear Father, as your people, dear Father, have entered in, you know what's going on in their lives. You know what's going on in their hearts. You know where they are this morning, dear Father. You know if some sit here, they have joy. And for others, they may have burdens. For others, there are things they're praying for, dear God, things they need. And for others, dear Father, life's okay. Dear Father, they still deal with sin, but life's okay. But all of us need your word. And so, Father, let your word go forth. It's living and active. Let it go forth and be honored and in Jesus' name. Amen. So Lydia was married for 15 years to her high school sweetheart. And Lydia was able to get in contact with her maid of honor through Facebook. She hadn't talked to her in a few years. And she came to find out that her maid of honor was a believer in Christ. And they began to talk or text through Facebook. And her maid of honor shared the gospel with her. Lydia had a lot of questions. A lot of questions. But her maid of honor was able to answer every one of her questions and point her to Christ. And 
Lydia trusted in Christ as her Savior and Lord, and she was baptized. She joined the church, and she began to, join, began to grow in her faith. As Lydia grew in her faith, her marriage grew apart. Her husband of 15 years was excited about what had happened in his wife's life early on, but then he realized that her life was beginning to change. The way she viewed life, her decisions, the way she used her time, what she thought about was changing. Liddy was faithful at home. She was there for her husband. They did have some good times, but she knew something was different since she trusted in Christ. Something had changed, and over time, her husband began to disrespect her. Nothing physical, but just began to disrespect her because of her faith in Christ. And after a while, Lydia knew that she had to either stay or needed wisdom to move away for a time. And it was tough for Lydia, but Lydia hoped in Christ. But it was a challenge. Because Lydia thought that after trusting in Christ, that maybe things would get better. They did it for her. Derek was promoted to supervisor on his IT team, and he, he did a great job. He was a believer in Christ, and Derek tried to do everything right as best that he could. Derek was honest about his numbers. He was honest about what his team could and could not do, their strengths and their weaknesses. Derek was able to handle stress as a believer in Christ. He wasn't perfect. He had his moments. But for Derek, he wanted to do everything to be pleasing to Christ, and he did a great job. And Derek exceeded all of the other supervisors, but Derek was overlooked for promotion and recognition for some reason. He really fully didn't understand it until Derek learned that his direct manager did not like Derek because of his faith. And so Derek found himself knowing that he should have been promoted many times and he should have got the recognition, but he did not. Like Lydia, they found themselves in some situations that were unjust because of their faith. Beloved, this morning when we come to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, we're going to look at 12 verses. And what links these 12 verses together is verse 4. It's an issue of injustice taking place between some rich unbelievers and some poor believers. And we're going to see in verses 1 through 6 that James is going to give a warning to those rich unbelievers. And then in verses 7 through 12, he's going to give a word of wisdom to these poor Christians. But verse 4 is the key. Verse 4 links it all together. Beloved, in this life, we're going to experience both minor and major acts of injustice all over. It's because of sin. 
because sin is in the world. We're going to deal with it until Christ returns. This morning, beloved, we're going to see the unjust acts of some rich unbelievers. And so I summarize these 12 verses into this statement here, sentence. Because people love the riches of this life, they may use unjust means to enjoy this life. Therefore, heed the warning and wisdom to establish your heart, Christ Church Roseville, for the return of Jesus Christ. Because people love the riches of this life, they may use unjust means to enjoy this life. Therefore, heed the warning and the wisdom to establish your heart for the return of Jesus Christ. And so, verses 1 through 6, we're going to start with the warning against living for an earthly return. And here's the warning. Living for earthly returns can lead to an eternal return in hell. Living for earthly returns can lead to an eternal return in hell. So he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Laid up treasure in the last days. James' main audience here are poor Jewish believers. There are people here in this audience, even in this audience here, who are probably not believers. There were some unbelievers there also. Specifically, he's going to talk to some rich unbelievers. It's interesting throughout this entire letter, James says, my brothers, my beloved. He loves them. He loves them a lot. But when he comes here to this verse... He doesn't say, my brothers or my beloved. He says, my rich. You rich. Come now, you rich. As if James is saying, move to the front because I have something specifically to say to you. Come now, you rich. I have in my mind the image of a spotlight. And James is shining in on those rich that are there. I'm focusing on you. I know you're hearing this letter read. I know that you're there, and I've got something to say to you. And so he says, come now. And this is not a suggestion. He, it's interesting. He didn't say to his believing brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, go to the fellowship hall. We've got some treats for you over there, and then you guys come back. He says, no, I want everyone to hear what I've got to say because it's important that you hear this. So James' warning is going to the rich, but it's going to be heard by all. So remember how the point of the passage begins, because people love the riches of this life. Now it's a specific group of people, the rich. The rich. And the rich are individuals with an abundance of earthly or material goods. An abundance of earthly or material goods. Goods. You have the basic necessities of life, but you got some more. Got a little bit more. Let me just say a few general points as we work through here. Think about rich. If we were to compare ourselves with other people in the world, we would all be probably considered rich. Every one of us in this room, we'd be considered rich. We have a roof over our head. We have food. Um, 
food in our refrigerators. We have clothing. It may not be what we want, but we've got it. We've got it. We're okay. Also, remember, it's, it's not a sin to be rich at all. You remember Paul in 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, 17 through 19, he gives instructions to some rich believers how to use their riches. So it's not a sin to be rich at all. But remember, beloved, that having an abundance of earthly and material goods, clothes, vehicles, or homes, that's not a sign of mature faith uh, at all. But the fact is, there are Christians who will have, and there are Christians who will not in this life. It's just a fact. Oh, beloved, may we not allow our hearts to be captivated and drawn away into riches at all. And beloved, let not your ears give themselves to false teachers who equate the fruit of the Spirit as homes, cars, clothing, trips, savings, and promotions. You'll hear that stuff, and maybe you say, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't listen to that kind of teaching, beloved. You say, I, I'm not concerned about the prosperity gospel. I'm here to preach against the prosperity gospel. I'm not concerned about that. But, oh, beloved, you could fall into the trap of prosperity gospel living. The temptation to trust in your riches and not in Christ. The temptation to trust in your riches and not pray. The temptation to pursue comfort and not Christ. Oh, you could fall into the living. It's a temptation we all face. The temptation to trust in riches. Beloved, remember at the center of the gospel is Jesus Christ and it's not the American dream. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ, but once again, it's not a sin to be rich. And so you may have an abundance of material and financial wealth, praise God, but that's not guaranteed for everyone. And so it's possible that you might have to work paycheck to paycheck. It's possible that you got to think of some creative, creative Christ-honoring ways to earn a living, to pay bills, to pay for college or programs to help strengthen your skills as an employer or employee, you just might have to. But if you do have an abundance, maybe think through how you can be a blessing to other believers. You may even ask the elders, I've got a little extra. Is there any way I can be a blessing to the body? And finally, beloved, remember this, that your usefulness to work to the work of the gospel, your identity in Christ, is not based on your checking or savings account at all. I preach for your joy in Christ. Just a few things about rich. Now let's go back to the text. And so James is speaking to a specific kind of rich person. He's talking to the individual whose God is their riches. They live to be rich. They make decisions to be rich. They plan their life around how they can get more and more. They're not concerned about other people. They're concerned about the bottom line. They're concerned about their riches. Their identity, excuse me, <clears throat> is linked to their wealth. Their God is their riches. Christ Church Roseville, heed the warning. Living for earthly returns can lead to an eternal return in hell. And so James says, weep and howl. 
Weep and howl. He says, cry out loud. This is the cry of coming judgment or destruction. This is uncontainable grief. That's how he starts off. He doesn't say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or grace and peace to you. He says, weep and howl. Weep and howl. As I was preparing this message, I was trying to think of what it looked like to weep and howl. And the image that came uh, to my mind was Mammy Till. Mammy Till. Some of you remember who Mammy Till is. If you don't, Mammy Till is the mother of Emmett Till. Emmett Till, a black teenager from Chicago who was brutally murdered in 1955. If you were to just to pull up images of the funeral of Emmett Till, there are images of his mother. Images of his mother who's looking at the casket, and the casket is open. She wanted everyone to see what had been done to her son. And you look at her face, and you see weeping. You can only imagine what the sound was like at that funeral for her. Weeping and howling. And then there's another image when the casket just arrived, and And she is on her knees, and there are three men surrounding her, two pastors and another individual. She is on her knees, and she is weeping. She is torn up, weeping and howling. What James is saying, beloved, he's saying to them, be afraid, be very afraid. If riches is your God. Be very afraid, beloved. He says, why? Because of the miseries that are coming upon you, the hardships, the distress that is coming upon you. How can James say this? Where does James get his confidence to say to them, weep and howl? Well, James' life was shaped by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had changed James' life. And so Jesus can look here at these individuals through the life of Jesus Christ. He can look at it through the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and ultimately the return of Jesus Christ. And he takes that lens and he looks at him and he says, weep and howl. Weep and howl. There are miseries coming upon you. Beloved, may we shape our lives through the lens of Jesus Christ. May we shape everything about us through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Christ. Uh, For some of you, you're you're about to return to school or you have returned to school. Whether you are homeschooled or public school or whether private school or you're in college or trade school or you're in seminary or wherever you're going, beloved, may your life, may your education be shaped by Jesus Christ. Parents, may you send your children into a world confident of the person of Christ, confident of his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. May their lives be shaped by Christ. Beloved, think of how you can use your free time to grow in the knowledge of Christ. What can you do? What can you do, beloved? Because of Christ's life, parents, grandparents, what are ways that you can show that you value Christ 
before your children and before your family, that you value Christ. Beloved, James viewed life, and he could make these judgments based on the life of Christ. He was conscious and confident of the story. Now, James' warning is not a new teaching here. Jesus was clear on this also. He says, you remember in Luke 6, 24 and 25, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Christ Church Rose, may you heed the warning. Heed the warning. May you know that you can never win a debate with Christ. You can't hustle Jesus Christ. You can't get over on Christ. You can't play Christ. Beloved, he knows what you love. He knows what you love. He does. And beloved, Jesus knows how life ends for those who worship the bottom line of their savings and checking account, and it doesn't end well. And so James says, weep and howl. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. In verses 2 through 6, James gives the evidence. He lays it out before them as to why they should weep and howl. He says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. He says, will be evidence against you in the last days. These phrases point to the return of Christ in, in different ways but he puts the evidence of their wealth before them. He says, your riches have rotted. They're decomposing, whether that's literally or in eternity, but no matter what, their riches were not going to last. Your riches aren't going to last, beloved. Your, your watches, your cars, your computers, your laptops, your jewelry, your vehicles, your iPhone, your Android, your flat screen, your Xbox One, your PS4, your tablet, your kitchen appliances, your bookshelf, your books on the bookshelf, your audio system, they will rot. Amen. He says, your riches have rotted. But then he says, your garments are moth-eaten. They're long-flowing, the outer garments, their robes, their their clothing. They're they're moth-eaten, he says. Your jeans, your sweatshirts, your suits, your tennis shoes, your timberlands, your high heels, your skirts, your pantsuits, your spring dresses, your hats, your hoodies, your dress shoes, your suits, your bow ties, your ties, your scarf, your blouse. They're moth-eaten. That's right. They're moth-eaten, beloved. Your gold and your silver, they're corroded. Anything made with gold or silver, your jewelry, your utensils, your, your furniture. James is laying it all out. Christ Church Roseville, heed the warning. Yes, he's talking to these unbelievers. Yes, he's putting this, this, this plate of, of spiritual truth before them. But let's catch the crumbs of truth that fall from the plate. Heed the warning. But these are good things. Those things, they're good things. There's nothing sinful about them. But when those things are your God, there's an eternal problem. Once again, the warning is not about being rich, but he is warning us to not let riches become our God. 
But look at what James says will happen to those whose God is their riches. He says, corrosion will be evident against you and will eat your flesh like fire. So how is that going to happen? Well, looking at it from the return of Christ, their gold and silver will be evidence that reveals what their soul loved. It's going to be evidence. They loved riches. Uh, beloved, understand this. The way you live life, beloved, is a walking testimony of who and what you love. It appeared that probably the rich had it all together. It's possible that for some of the Jewish believers, they liked what they saw on the other side of the fence. You remember in James chapter 2, matter of fact, James addresses this issue of partiality. The situation that was going on, people were coming in with gold rings and fine clothes, you remember, and they were pushing them to the front. You sit here at my foot, they said to those who were poor. Maybe James has this in mind. Beloved, understand this. Our lives are living Instagrams of what we love and who we love. So you may not be on Instagram, so what I'm saying is your life is a living picture of what you love and who you love. Who do you love, beloved? What do you love? Part two of the verse, he said, it will eat your flesh like fire. Once again, James is speaking, I believe, through the lens of Christ's return. Anyone whose God is riches in this life will receive an eternal body. They'll receive an eternal body, but that eternal body will be thrown into hell and burned for eternity. It says in Revelations 20, you remember, you all know God is able to create a body that can endure and not be consumed. You remember in Exodus 3, he created a bush. It's not consumed. You remember in Luke 16, the rich man in Lazarus, rich man was in torment and not destroyed. He felt the heat. He says, I'm in anguish in this flame. Heed the warning. Heed the warning, beloved. The end of verse 3, he says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. But that's not the only you have statement. There's three others. He says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Verse 5, he says, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Verse 5b, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And then verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James isn't stopping. Beloved, May you hear this warning as a display of the grace and mercy of God. God in his grace, God in his kindness, he's allowing you to hear this this morning. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Don't walk away from this evidence. If this is you, don't walk away from the evidence. If God is your riches, if God by his spirit is convicting you right now, don't walk away. That's not the response to conviction, to turn away from God. The response is to go to the one who convicts you. There's nowhere else you can turn and say, yes, riches have been and they are my God. I confess my sins. Repent and believe. Why? Because God is rich in mercy and grace. Rich in mercy and grace, beloved, as it says in Ephesians 2, 4. And then grow in the riches of being forgiven and knowing Jesus Christ. And then use your riches under the submission to Jesus Christ, ruling your life.
He says, you've laid up treasure in the last day. As you know, we have been in the last days since Christ came. And so we're waiting for the final act in the story, the return of Christ. Anytime Christ could return, at any time, we know all that the Father has given to the Son will come. But at any time, beloved, he says, in the last days you've laid up treasure. As if he's saying to them, you know, it's in the last days you've laid up treasure. The treasure you have could be used for others, but you're not. You're just laying it up. You're laying it up as if things are going to keep going on and on and on and on. James wants to know we're in the last days. There is an expiration date. God has it set. There is an expiration date. One writer said, these people had treasured up as if they would live and the world would go on forever. But the end times in which they have a last chance to repent and put their goods to righteous use are already upon them. Beloved, now is the time. Today is the day. They are living in luxury and in self-indulgence. That's what they were doing. That was their lifestyle, living in luxury and self-indulgence. Now remember, remember these things, because remember, verse 4 is the link. But before we move on, in here he says four times, you have, you have, you have. Beloved, what would the Godhead say about your life this morning that is not in line with the new life of the Holy Spirit produces? What would the Godhead say about your life? If they were to say to you, you're born again and you're saved, but you have, what would go after that? You're born again and you're saved, but you have. Once again, beloved, respond by confessing, repenting, and say, Lord, lead me according to your word. Lead me, Lord. This warning to the rich to weep and howl, and the evidence presented of how they were living would have been once again heard by the believers. And this is key. Some of these poor believers, they worked for the rich. I don't know, but James had found out that an act of injustice was taking place. He found out that these rich had no fear of God. They had an abundance of riches. They were deceiving people. So that brings us to verse 4. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept you back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. At some point they agreed upon payment, and they were not getting paid. He says in here, which you kept back by fraud. They were being cheated. They had every right to get paid for their work. Beloved, this was an act of injustice by the rich. They were not holding up their end of the agreement for the work done by the poor Christians. This was wrong. It was wrong. As I said earlier, beloved, because of the fall, Because of the fall, minor and major acts of injustice will continue until Jesus Christ returns. You just can't change that at all. 
But the beautiful thing here is that James speaks up on behalf of the poor believers. James here uses his, his voice, not only his voice, he wrote it down. And his voice is shaped by his hope in the Lord of hosts. Lord Sabaoth. He's excited about that. That's his hope. He says the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I'm reminded of God saying, you remember to Moses in Exodus 3, 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. James is saying, you rich cheaters, the Lord of hosts knows what you're doing. You have the ability to fulfill the promise. You've lived in luxury. It's not like you don't have it. You got it. You're not paying them. This is wrong. And he says the Lord of the armies knows. You're in trouble. The Lord of the armies, he knows. He hears the cries of those who are being defrauded. And this warning to the rich had to be an encouragement to the laborers. Just imagine. Is that letters being read? And they didn't have chapters back then, but you got chapter one, and okay, cool. Chapter two, God, that's good stuff, James. Chapter three, uh, we're encouraged by that, but we still ain't getting paid, brother. You know what I'm saying? Get to chapter four, okay, we got you, you know, we'll do that. We'll do it. But then you get to five, yeah. Thank you, James. Thank you that you used your voice. Thank you that you used your platform. Thank you that you spoke up. Thank you that you said something, James. We're thankful. Thank you, James. A few observations here from James. We continue in this. I'm pretty sure James did this, beloved, but James did more than just pray for them. He didn't say, I hear your cry, I'll pray for you. Pretty sure he did, but he did more than that. He did more than that. Why? Because I think James realized that there were some people in his family that were being mistreated. People in his family. These were not just individuals who were made in the image of God, that's true, but they were a part of the family of God. That changed everything. That changed everything, beloved. His family members were being mistreated. They were not being dealt with right. So James probably knew some of them by name. He knew their situations. Maybe he knew their children. And Maybe as he's writing this, I'm thinking about their children. Think about maybe how hard it is for them to live with not being able to get paid. I, I remember that they, they left and, and, and the wife was pregnant and they already had some kids. This is tough for them, I'm pretty sure. Beloved, remember that personal sins of people with power can have an impact on all people, especially the poor. Especially the poor. But it's interesting also in here that as he's talking to these, these poor Believers whom he loves, who are part of the family, you step back and you see that to be poor is multifaceted. 
He doesn't just say, well, you're probably poor because you're lazy. Or maybe you're poor because you weren't working hard enough. Or maybe you should take an example from me, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, he didn't say that at all. Because the Bible says many things about why individuals are poor, but it's interesting, it does say something in Proverbs 22. I want to read that to you. Proverbs 22, verse 16, it says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. 22 and 23, that same chapter, say, Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause. Or you remember in Amos 5.11, it says, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell on them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. And so, beloved, as we see here, and there's so much more that we could look at, but in Scripture we see that to be poor is not always on the side of the person that is poor, as if they're lazy. Here we have individuals who were rich, who had, if I could say, created a system that worked for them. They created a system that worked for them. Get people to work for us, we don't pay them. And so I love this, beloved, that James does not dismiss, nor does he deny his beloved brothers and sisters' complaints. They were family. And so James used his voice to speak up. And so, beloved, may you and I consider how we can use our voice to speak up and to not be dismissive or deny when family members, I'm referring to believers in Christ, no matter who those family members are, when they cry out against unjust actions or laws because they're family in Christ. Well, James says to Lord Sabaoth, he is the defender of all Christians, and so be encouraged, beloved. If you're going through things even in this life, in 2018, that you too can call upon him. You can call upon the Lord of hosts until you breathe your last breath. And he will hear your cry. And so James in these six verses warns us against living for an earthly return because living for earthly returns can lead to an eternal return in hell. I can only imagine after hearing this letter the rich or the poor say, but what if the rich do not change, James? James, are we free to take matters into our own hands? James, what if they never pay us back? James, what if my situation in this life doesn't change? Why don't I just live like the rich? Why? <laughs> Well, James now turns from those who are oppressing the poor to those who are being oppressed. 
And so verse 7 through 12, the wisdom to establish your heart for the coming of the Lord. And the wisdom statement is this, live consciously for the coming of Christ because it will end with a priceless reward. Live consciously for the coming of Christ because it will end with a priceless reward. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This here is a command. He says, be patient, persevere, suffer long. Beloved, there is an ending point to being patient. It's the return of Christ. Be patient until Christ returns. He says that twice in here. So, beloved, continue to trust in God. Continue to trust in God. He's all wise. He's in control while you deal with circumstances out of your control. But it's interesting here, the word here is used for patience is a word that has to deal with people. Be patient with the people. The people who are mistreating you, be patient, he says. And they say, James, we're not getting paid. I know. Be patient. Beloved, the key to being patient, and this is not easy, is who we're being patient for. We're being patient for the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. What is the coming of the Lord? Well, the coming of the Lord is the glorious return of Jesus Christ to earth to execute wrath and grace, to judge the righteous and the unrighteous, to throw unbelievers into hell and welcome believers into the new heavens and new earth where God will dwell with them forever. Or to put it simply, the return of Christ is the establishment of the righteous king who will reign forever with justice. The return of Christ, and that's what your heart wants. That's what you long for. You long for Christ to return. 2 Thessalonians 7, 9, chapter 2, 7, 9 says this. May your soul be encouraged, beloved. When Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you has been believed. Verse 10, when he comes on that day, Christ Church, Roseville, to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at, that day is coming when he is going to return. Or it says in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, that he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as a, separ- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. James says, Be patient for the coming of the Lord. Be patient for his glorious return, because when he returns, he will sit on his glorious throne. That's what you want. You want a leader, you want a king who leads with justice and righteousness. 
And Christ fulfills that. And so James can say to those who are dealing with this situation, be patient. And he says more to them, but he says, be patient. Because James has to honestly step back and say, even though I'm challenging them to do this, I cannot guarantee they'll do it. I cannot guarantee that they'll pay you back. I cannot guarantee that they'll change their course of action. But what I can guarantee is that Christ will return. And put your hope in that. Beloved, as you wait, may you continue to trust that God is all wise. That he's in control. He's all wise. And he's in control. He continues on. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The beloved, it would take a lot of work to work the ground, to plant the seed. You remember, they had no John Deere equipment. No irrigation system. They couldn't go and turn on the switch. And the sprinklers come on. They had to do everything they knew to do. And then they had to wait. They had to wait. They could pray. Well, we pray for the late. We pray for the late rains. We pray, Father, for the early rains. But they weren't in control. God was. God was. So James is trying to encourage them. They would have understood this, this example. Understand you're waiting on the Lord and he's in control. But he says at the end there, for the precious fruit of the earth. He says you're waiting for something good. The precious fruit. Beloved, there's nothing better than the return of Christ. We'll have some good things in this life, but nothing better than the return of Christ. You know, it's hard for our minds to get wrapped around that because we live in a sinful world. We live in a sinful body. Our minds are warped. All we've known is sin. We live around sinful people. We live in a world in which whoever's in leadership, no matter who they are, they're going to do some justice, they're going to do some injustice. It's just the world we live in. So our minds can't get wrapped around a world in which there is no injustice. In which the dwelling of God is with man. In which sinners no longer exist. They've thrown into hell. Our minds can't get wrapped around it. But beloved, that's why he says, establish your hearts. You've got to be intentional. Establish your hearts for the return of Christ. Beloved, we don't have time to deal with specific issues, but once again, I don't want to be insensitive to anyone's injustice that you've experienced in life or you're going to experience. Once again, there'll be both minor and major acts of injustice. 
So don't want to be insensitive at all, but please just hear this general but weighty word of truth. Be patient for the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Well, verses 9 through 12, James ends. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. James gives them, broken down into four commands. Number one, he says, love one another. Verse nine, love one another. Number two, he says, learn from the prophets. Learn from the prophets. And then he says, remember the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And finally, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let me just say a few words about all of those and then we'll close. He says, love one another. Do not grumble against one another. It's, it's possible that it's possible that because they were not getting paid, they were taking it out maybe on one another. Grumbling against one another. Upset, not getting paid. And that's what he said. Love one another. Love each other. Don't grumble. Christ Church Roseville, as you think about this body, as you think about what people may be going through or have gone through, may this be the place where people can come here and they're going to get loved on. You're going to love on them. They're going through things. They're going through challenges. They know they're going to be loved on. He says, learn from the prophets. Take the prophets, he says, who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and Patience. So he says, learn from the prophets. So it may be good, it is good to learn from them. The prophets can teach you and I about suffering and patience. It's interesting because James tells them to wait for the coming of the Lord. And so they have either the option of obeying or not obeying. Hopefully they will obey. As an example, to encourage them to obey is for them to take the prophets. The prophets obeyed. They spoke in the name of the Lord. And as they went about speaking in the name of the Lord, they suffered. Beloved, obedience in no way means that we're going to be free from suffering. Obedience to Christ. They were obedient. But remember this, beloved, as you think about it. The prophets, think about the fact they suffered. Where are the prophets now? Where are the prophets? Where are the prophets who spoke, who were mocked, who were laughed at? Where are they at? Who suffered? For some, they didn't see the fruit of their message. For some, we had to go out and people's ears are going to be closed, but yet they still had to go speak. Where are the prophets now? be absent from the body to be present with the Lord and where are those who didn't listen to the prophets where are they at 
Beloved. Beloved. It is a priceless return to trust in Christ. The reward is priceless. For some of the prophets, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of suffering pales in comparison to where they are now. And for those who didn't listen, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of the enjoyment of this life, mocking the prophets, hee hee ha ha, whatever you say. You get the point. Beloved, learn from the prophets. Then he says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Remember, beloved, in all that we do, though we may not understand everything, he uses Job there, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord in the life of Job. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He really is. And then he says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Maybe James here in verse 12 is saying to them, you know what? The temptation, the temptation may be that you treat people like the rich have treated you. They said they were going to do one thing, but they didn't. They said they were going to pay you when you mowed the fields. They didn't pay you. But as for you, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. You keep your word. And so, beloved, James here has given us a warning and wisdom. And so, beloved, I preach for your joy. Just remember, because people love the riches of this life, they may use unjust means to enjoy this life. Therefore, heed the warning and the wisdom to establish your hearts, Christ Church, Roseville, for the return of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Christ Church, Roseville, don't live for earthly returns. Live for the, ret the eternal return of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.